My name is Ben. I'm the campus pastor here. And uh, I, I want to tell you this morning to get into this message that there are, there are a few things that I remember from my childhood with as much clarity as the first time I was sucker punched, okay? You all know what a sucker punch is, right? It's when the other guy doesn't have enough courage to confront you face to face. And so he waits until you're not looking and then out of nowhere you get hit. That's a sucker punch. And for me, it happened at the pool in Rensselaer, Indiana. That's where I spent most of my summer days. I'd meet the other guys there, and, uh, and we'd play all day long. And we played rough, okay? Those were the days when uh, the lifeguards, they didn't care. Uh, you could push people into the pool. You could put somebody on your shoulders and chicken fight. You could hold people under. The lifeguards did not care. Not today, man. Not today. You walk too fast at the pool today and somebody's blowing a whistle at you. My wife, Beth Ann, says the lifeguards are there to make sure nobody has any fun, okay? And, and uh, sometimes it seems like that's about right. But that's not how it was when I was a kid. We played rough at the pool. And apparently on this one particular day, I had played a little too rough with somebody because as I was getting out of the pool and getting dried off, out of nowhere, a fist met my stomach and all of the air went out of me. And I made an incredible moaning sound and I doubled over. And try as I might, I could not get air back into my lungs and things started going blurry. It was terrible. It was an awful feeling that I remember to this day. Some of you know exactly what it feels like to be sucker punched. And I want you to know that every time we talk about money, I cringe just a little bit. I do, not because I don't think that we should talk about money. I do think we should talk about money, but here's the thing. I know that there are some of you who came into this room for the very first time this morning, and you hear that we're gonna talk about money and it's like a sucker punch for you. You're thinking, man, I came in here to hear about God. I came in here to, to maybe find some hope and all they want is my money. And that might feel a little bit like a sucker punch to you. Or maybe you've been around the church world for a while. Maybe you gave to a ministry and then you saw some kind of mishandling or some kind of misuse of, of funds. And that was like a sucker punch to you. The reality is this topic of money is sensitive so I want you to know right up front, uh, we've already taken the offering. We're not going to take another one, okay? Uh, we're not starting a building campaign today. In fact, the whole point of this series and this message is not that you would give more money. The point of this message in this series is that your heart and mine would be aligned with the heart of Christ when it comes to how we use our resources. And so to that end, we're going to look at a parable today. It's a parable that Jesus told that helps us to understand his heart when it comes to this topic of money. And the parable is found in Luke chapter 16. If you brought a Bible, I want to invite you to turn there with me. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some under the seats around you. Grab one of those. This is on page 730 of those Bibles. Maybe you use version, whatever it is. This morning specifically, I want you to have a physical copy of the text in front of you. And here's why. This parable is incredibly difficult. Okay, this is maybe one of the most difficult passages I've ever had to preach on. And as we read it, you're going to hear some things that might sound contradictory to the message of Jesus as you know it. And so I want you to look at it for yourself. I want you to see what it says. I'm not going to add anything, and I'm not going to take anything away. 
Also, as we read this parable, uh, we're going to come to a principle at the very end. And I think some of you will be very familiar with that principle. But what leads up to it will be new for some of you. And the reason is that in the church, we've done a good job of teaching the principle without laying out the, the context in the parable. So this morning, we're going to study both. We're going to study uh, the parable, and we're going to study the principle. But I do want to give you the principle right up front so that you can listen to this parable through the filter of the principle. Okay, And the principle is found in verse 13. And, and it's very simply this. If you're taking notes, you cannot serve both God and money. How many of you have heard that principle before? Yeah, several of us have heard that before. You cannot serve both God and money. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we read the parable. Let's start in, in uh, verse 1 of Luke chapter 16. It says this, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. And then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. And the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little also will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, what are we supposed to do with that? <laughs> I mean, did you hear some things in there that, that caused you to scratch your head a little bit? Jesus essentially tells a story about a guy who loses his job for stealing from his master. And then when he's told to settle his accounts, he essentially steals from his master again so that people will like him. And then the master comes in, and this is the part that, that blows my mind. The master comes in and he says, good job. Good job. I, I commend you for acting shrewdly. Well done. Good job stealing from me. Why would Jesus tell a story that highlights a dishonest person? Why would he tell a story of someone who clearly sins against someone else but then gets commended for it. That's what it seems is happening here, right? But let me begin by saying, anytime you come to a difficult passage in scripture, anytime you come to something that seems confusing, we have to begin with scriptures that aren't confusing. We have to interpret those passages in light of what we already know. So let's start with this. What do we know about God? 
Well, we know that, that God cannot be tempted with evil. That's James 1, 13. We know that in God, there is no darkness at all. 1 John chapter 1. We know that sin is what separates us from God. We read that in Isaiah 59. And we know that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to rescue us from sin. John three sixteen. That's what we know for sure. It's not confusing. It's as clear as it can possibly be. God cannot, cannot sin, God does not sin, God hates sin, God died for sin. And so God would never commend sin. So the point of this parable cannot be steal from your boss to get yourself some more friends, okay? No, but what we see Jesus highlighting in this passage is actually found in verse eight, where he says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. The point of this parable is that God wants us to be shrewd. Now, how many times have you heard a pastor say that? <laughs> that doesn't seem quite right, does it? But part of the misunderstanding of this passage is the stigma that this word shrewd carries with it. I mean, that word feels like something shady, right? It feels like something under the table. But that's not actually what this word means at all. To be shrewd is to be astute, sharp, smart, clever, perceptive, and wise. Those are all synonyms for that word shrewd. So we need to get it out of our minds that Jesus is commending something negative here. He's not. It's not negative to be smart. It's not negative to be perceptive. It's not negative to be wise. In fact, this isn't the only place where Jesus calls for his followers to be shrewd. If you flip over to Matthew 10, uh, verse 16, where we find that Jesus is getting ready to send out his disciples. They're to go out, they're to begin spreading the news that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Here's what Jesus tells them. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Tell me, how many of you guys have ever heard this phrase before? They're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly what? Good. They're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. And the deficiency in that statement is shrewdness. Jesus says, be shrewd as a snake, be smart, be clever, be perceptive, be wise, and be as innocent as a dove. Be blameless, be pure, be spotless. So let's just do a quick self-assessment here. Uh, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I a shrewd person who maybe needs to work on being a little more dove-like, or am I a loving, caring, innocent person who needs to work on being a little more snake-like, a little more wise, a little more perceptive, a little more shrewd. Which one is it for you? Jesus calls for both, but most of his followers are deficient in one area or the other. And if you are shrewd, but you're not innocent, that's abuse. But if you're innocent and you're not shrewd, then you end up being ineffective and unproductive for the kingdom of God. And so Jesus wants us to have both. Be shrewd as a snake, be innocent as a dove. So back in Luke 16, in verse 8, when Jesus says this, he says, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light 
This is not a compliment for the people of the light, okay? Jesus is telling a story of this world. He's, he's telling a story that's full of deceit. He's telling a story that's full of stealing and lying and laziness as a story of this world would be. And I think that Jesus knew that we would look at this dishonest manager and we would think, man, I would never do something like that. I'm on the Dove program, okay? I'm innocent, I'm blameless, I'm pure. I'd never act like that guy. He's a thief. And Jesus says, you may be innocent, but that's not all I'm calling for. And this guy has something that you lack and it's shrewdness. And then he says this in verse nine. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Did that trip any of you up when we read it a minute ago? I mean, what is Jesus talking about? It feels contradictory to everything else that we hear Jesus say. You know, use your money to buy yourself some friends. Is that, is that what Jesus is saying? Use your money so that you can be the most popular guy at the office. You know, the most popular girl at the club, whatever it is. Use your money uh, for the popularity game. Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, again, let's interpret scripture in light of scripture. And we have the benefit of being able to fast forward to Matthew 28, where Jesus lays out the end goal for all of his followers. It's that we would make disciples. That's the end game for everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, that we would make disciples. And right here in verse nine, Jesus is about to reveal the spiritual meaning behind this earthly story. Now watch this. Don't, don't miss this. This is the most important part. The dishonest manager was shrewd for his own personal, temporary, physical gain. But the children of God should be shrewd for others-focused eternal spiritual gain. The children of God should be pouring their resources into the mission and into the work of making disciples. So how do we do that? Well, in the, the time that I have left this morning, I wanna suggest three things from this text. And the first is this, we need to use what we have and not waste it. Use what you have, don't waste it. At the very start of this parable, we learn that the dishonest manager has wasted his master's possessions. He's been given responsibility, he's been given oversight, and he has wasted his master's things. And based on how he acts later in the story, I think it's safe to assume that he wasted them on his own personal fulfillment, his own personal enjoyment. But here's the thing, it wasn't his to waste. This wasn't his money. Those weren't his possessions. They were the masters and he expected careful oversight of them. But the manager simply wasted it. So what does that mean for us? Well, what we've been highlighting all along in this series is Psalm 24.1, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything that we have is the Lord's. We have been given oversight of it. We are to be stewards of it, but we must not waste it because it's not ours to waste. So what does that mean? Does that mean you shouldn't buy that car? Does it mean that you, you shouldn't buy that new dress? Does it mean you shouldn't order that pizza? You know, don't ask me. It's, it's not my money either. <laughs> But the point being, if it was my money, you would ask me, right? If I was going on a trip and I asked you to oversee my bank account while I was gone, I mean, you wouldn't just assume that that was your money to spend the way that you wanted to, right? Some people would, but not you. You all look like trustworthy people to me. You wouldn't do that. 
But are we as trustworthy when it comes to not wasting what God has entrusted to us? So here's what I think we should do. With everything that we have, we should ask this question. God, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with this? I know what I want to do with it, but it's not mine, it's yours. So what do you want me to do with this? And then use it in the way that God leads you to use it, but don't waste it. Next, we need to operate shrewdly because God commends it. Look again at what the manager did in verse four. He's in trouble. He's about to lose his job. And so he starts thinking about his future and he makes a plan. He says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Olive oil's on sale, okay, half off, 50% off today. Sit down and write it. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Wheat's on sale too, not quite as good as oil, uh, but it's 20% off. So write your bill, write the check. And the dishonest manager is giving these deep discounts in hope that he will be taken care of in the days to come. So in a month from now, when the dishonest manager is hungry, he can go to the guy uh, who he gave the discount on the oil to and he can say, hey man, uh, you remember that sweet deal I gave you on that olive oil? And the guy will be like, yeah, you know what? I really appreciate that. Hey, why don't you come and have dinner at my house today? And in fact, you know what? Why don't you just stay with me until you can get on your feet? You took care of me. I'm going to take care of you. That's what's going on here. The dishonest manager is showing his ultimate passion for himself. He's showing his commitment to his own well-being, his willingness to do whatever it takes to set himself up for success in the future. And as we think about the fact that parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings, we have to realize that the master in this story is ultimately Jesus. And this is a story about you. And this is a story about me. And we will be commended not for what we did with our resources for our own personal, temporary, physical gain, but for how we use them for others-focused eternal spiritual gain. Look again at verse nine, when he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Watch what he says next. He says, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, what's he talking about there? Is this, is this about earning our way into heaven, that if we do this, then we get to go to heaven? Not at all. Not at all. We know that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. This isn't a get into heaven formula, but here's what Jesus is saying. I want you to think right now about the people who you know are far from God. Who are the people in your life, in your family, at your office, on your street, who do not know Jesus? And think about the impact that you could have in their life by using what God has entrusted to you to love them and to serve them and to befriend them and ultimately to tell them about the hope that is inside of you. And now I want you to fast forward 30, 40, 50 years down the road. That person believed, they put their faith in Christ and, uh, and, and they did it because you cared enough to use your worldly wealth to befriend them. And then they died, okay? We all die, right? They died and then a little while later you die. And who do you think is going to be there 
welcoming you into your eternal reward. Well, that's Brandon. You know, that guy over there, he, uh, he moved into the house down the road from me and it was a real fixer upper and, and I had the tools that he needed. And so I, I loaned him my tools and I, I loaned him my help and I got to tell him about Jesus. And that guy over there, that, that's Tom, you know, and, and Tom, uh, he was living without hope. He really just needed a friend. And so I took that guy to coffee every Tuesday morning just so he would have somebody to talk to. And I got to share the hope that was inside of me. And there he is. And that lady over there, you know, that's Lori. And Lori was a young mom and she was struggling. And I remembered what it was like to be a young mom. And so I bought her diapers and, and I got her some gift cards. And we went and we got a massage together. And I got to tell her about Jesus. And there they all are. Every person that you invested in with your worldly wealth, right there welcoming you into your eternal dwelling. That's what this is about. That's what Jesus is talking about. And I know that we can fall into this thinking that, you know, I don't really, I don't have anything. I don't have enough money to be taking people out for coffee all the time. I don't, I don't have enough money to be buying people diapers. Diapers are expensive. Man, I got four kids. Don't tell me about how expensive diapers are, okay? But look at what Jesus says next. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Stop thinking about what you don't have and start thinking about what you do have. Be faithful with the little that you have right now. What do you have right now that you can be faithful with and use to befriend the people around you who are far from God? Do you have a car? Who around you needs to go to the grocery store? Who needs a ride to work? Man, pick up some kids and bring them to Spring Hill Camp this, this uh, summer. Be faithful with what you have. Maybe you've got some scissors and you know how to cut hair. Who in your neighborhood needs a haircut? Okay, it always stands out. You always know the person who needs a haircut, right? Give them a haircut. Who are the kids in your neighborhood who need a haircut? Haircuts are expensive. Bless somebody with those scissors. Be trustworthy with what you have. Maybe you've got some tools in your garage. What's broken on your neighbor's house? Who needs an oil change? Get out there and do it. Be faithful with what you have. Man, I love my neighbors, uh, Brandon and Alicia. And uh, they've got two little kids. They moved in last summer. And from the moment that moving truck pulled in, those kids were eyeballing my swing set. I got a sweet swing set, by the way. And uh, they were just staring at it, you know? And, and I told Brandon and Alicia, your kids can come over and swing on my swing set anytime they want. You don't have to ask. Just tell them to come on over and swing. It's just using what you have. And later, Brandon, uh, he had a pretty good-sized tree blow over into another tree in his backyard. And we got to talking about it and it was gonna be really expensive for him to have it taken down. And, uh, and I thought, you know what? I mean, I've got a truck and a chainsaw and an unhealthy lack of fear. Um, <laughs> I bet we could pull that thing down. And so we did, you know, we tied a rope to that thing and, and tied it to the front of my truck and we yanked it out of that tree and we made firewood. But here's the most important part. Brandon and I sat on the gate of my truck for about a half hour after that. And we just talked about life and we talked about our families. And I've been able to begin to share my faith with Brandon because I was willing to invest my resources into him. 
And I want you to know, I use that example, but I don't always get this right. I don't. Uh, so last weekend, I, I preached this exact same message at our Carmel campus. I used that exact same illustration. And you know what? Um, it's, it's a little bit tiring. It's, I don't know what it is, but when I preach, I go home and I'm just spent. And so whatever it is. But I got in my truck after preaching this message and giving that illustration last Sunday, and I looked at my phone, and there was a text from Brandon, I kid you not, that said, hey, bro, I'm laying tile today. I could use some help. <laughs> and I thought, Lord, are you serious? I am so tired. I just want to go home and take a nap. Uh, but I'll tell you, I didn't. I went home. I, I called Brandon. He ended up just needing a couple of cuts made with a saw that he didn't have. And, uh, and I was able to serve him in that way. But I want you to know, like, it's not natural. I struggle with this just like everybody else does. But I can't ignore what Jesus says at the end of this passage in verse 13. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to choose. So here's the thing. Point number three is this. It's time to fire a master. It's time to fire a master. Listen to me. Jesus died so that we could be set free from everything that would enslave us. And some of you here today need to be set free from the bondage and the grip that money has on you. And how do you know if money has become your master? Well, let me just suggest a few things. If you believe that things can make you happy, then money is your master and you need to fire it. If your thoughts are consumed by what you want to buy next, only to get it and then to begin thinking about what you want to buy next and then what you want to buy next and then what you want to buy next, then money is your master and you need to fire it. If you find yourself becoming miserable, seeing what other people have and knowing that you can't afford it, then money is your master and you need to fire it. And listen, money is nothing. It is absolutely nothing. It's not good. It's not evil. We read in 1 Timothy that it's the love of money. That's where the problem comes in. That's when it becomes our master, when we love it, when we bow to it. And money is a terrible master because it never fulfills. It never satisfies. It always demands more. And some of you here this morning need to tell your money to stand down because the shrewd know that money is a tool, but it's not to be our master. Jesus is our master. And we are to use our money for eternal, others-focused spiritual gain. So how are you doing at being shrewd with the things that God has entrusted to you? I wanna pray for us this morning. I wanna invite you to bow your heads with me now. And the reality is that some of us need to be honest before the Lord this morning and admit that we have been wasting what he entrusted to us. That there are people living in houses sometimes 30 feet away from our houses who do not know Christ, who have a Christless eternity in hell ahead of them. 
and we are wasting the things that God gave us on our own personal fulfillment and our own personal temporary satisfaction. And if that is you, I want you to take a minute this morning and confess that to the Father right now. Maybe pray something like this. Father, I'm realizing that the things that I have, they aren't mine at all. It's yours. You've entrusted it to me. You've asked me to be a steward of it and I have wasted it and I am sorry. Father, will you help me to view my things as yours? Will you help me to view them with an eternal perspective? And some of us here this morning are probably realizing that we could use a little more shrewdness when, ha- when it comes to how we use our money. We need to be a little more wise. We need to be a little bit more perceptive in thinking about the future impact that our money can have. And so if that's you, uh, I invite you to confess that to the Lord as well. And Father, you tell us in your word that if we ask for wisdom, that you will give. You will give that wisdom. And so we're coming to you this morning, praying that you find us innocent as doves but that you would help us in this area of shrewdness to be wise, to be smart, to be perceptive, to be astute. Father, grow us in this area by your spirit. And Lord, this morning, if there are those in the room who have chosen money as their master above you, I pray for the boldness for my brothers and sisters here today to fire money as their master to turn and put their eyes on you to find that there is nothing on this earth like you. There is nothing that is to be desired above you that we would find ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in you, Lord. And I pray to that end this morning, knowing that the earth is yours and everything in it. Father, grow us in this area of shrewdness that we would be effective and productive for your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.